It is a huge honor to interview Reverend Eric Porter. Eric has been a credentialed minister for 19 years and was a pastor in local church ministry for 12 years. For the past six years, he has been a full-time nationally appointed orphan care U.S. missionary with the vision to train church leaders to develop a foster care, adoption, and support ministry. Eric serves Backyard Orphans as the founder and president. His team has seen over 400 hurting children placed in healing homes over the past four years. Most importantly, he has been married to Trisha Porter for over 18 years, the father of four, and a foster dad. They are currently waiting on an adoptive placement. Eric personally coached me when I was starting an orphan care ministry at my church. He is full of wisdom and experience, and I'm so excited for you to hear from him about his ministry. Welcome, Eric, to Adoption Hacks. Hey, it's my honor. I'm so glad you're, you're doing this podcast. What brought you to orphan care? Yeah, it was, um, it was started as a personal um, journey. We were, you know, just having challenge having child number four. And, um, you know, as we really felt like the Lord wanted us to have another child. And we, a lot of our church had started a ministry um, in, inside the church that was recruiting foster families, adoptive families, and a support system. And so <clears throat> the culture was around us and people were just starting to foster and adopt. And so we thought, well, maybe the Lord wants us to adopt or foster. So we, we prayed, we fasted, we, uh, we read some books and sought counsel and really felt like the Lord wanted us to, to do that. And, um, you know, on that journey, when you study this space, you start to see um, a lot of different things that you just never saw before. Some of it being scripture, you know, like there's 30 plus times in scripture that the Bible refers to the orphan, the fatherless. And I was like, man, how did I, how have I been in ministry, you know, over a decade or whatever and, and went through school and Bible college and I didn't hear about this. And I saw two big numbers, you know, that popped out to me were 400,000 kids in foster care in the U.S. and 350,000 churches. And I just was thinking, man, this is problem solvable. And I, so my brain immediately went to like the occupational side. And then God was like, hey, don't be uh, asking people to go where you're not willing to go. And so we it went back to personal and and we got paperwork to foster or adopt or just straight adopt. And uh, at the end of a fast on a Thursday, my wife uh, thought it'd be fun to take a pregnancy test on Friday and surprise, uh, we were pregnant with child number four. And so <laughs> the personal side was just paused, but man, God would just planted so many seeds on the professional side and on the professional side, it just started clicking, you know, um, I just realized, man, the church could be the solution. If every church just, you know, got one family to foster adopt, we could almost empty the system and so the the professional side just started growing. And then um, God just said, hey, I want you to uh, take a blind step of faith at a local church ministry for 12 years and and do orphan care. I didn't even know what orphan care was. Like, what is this? And and that's when that journey started to begin. So, so you're with Backyard Orphans now. How did that come about? Yeah, so when God told us to take that blind step of faith, um, man, just so many things just started clicking in my head of, you know, just scenes throughout my career, my personal life where I was like, oh, okay, God is unpacking this this new call. And on the professional side, I'll never forget, Candice, you know, just as a pastor, you know, we're mandated reporters. And so if we think a child is being abused, abandoned, or neglected in our church, then we're required to make that phone call. And 
um, God's, I, I remember, you know, God showed me like that first scene when I was a pastor and when I had to make that phone call to the child abuse hotline for a girl who was being beaten by her father in our youth ministry because she didn't make straight A's. I'll never forget just weeping. And they were like angry tears. You know, it was like, as a dad, I was thinking, I cannot imagine this father, why he's doing this. But as a pastor, God was saying, you know, showing me that the church can be the solution, as I said. And what are we, the church, doing to help this dad who clearly has some issues? Mm -hmm. And what are we doing to help this girl who didn't sign up for her problems? And and so that's kind of where the professional seed was planted there. But I didn't know how to answer that question until later. And God said, hey, I want you to create this 501c3 ministry. Um, uh, your Your vision is that uh, fa- children need families and, and there needs to be a day where there are more families waiting on children than there are children waiting for families. And I want you and your team to, um, train church leaders to develop a foster care adoption and support ministry. And, you know, the word backyard orphans, I just caught myself saying there's orphans in our own backyard. We don't need to fly over kids to reach kids. It's not that one child is more important than the other one, international or domestic. It's just, it's like the local U.S. church has neglected the hurting children in their own backyard in effort to help the ones around the world. And so that's where the phrase kind of backyard orphans came from. And and what do you guys, what do you guys do? Yeah, so it's... What I mentioned there, our primary focus is training church leaders uh, to develop a foster care, adoption, and support ministry. So we use the word develop intentionally because most of the time it's starting from scratch, um, Mm -hmm. but it is also, you know, helping just pour some fuel on the fire that's already burning in their church. And in doing so, it's definitely like working with um, government, um, which is, I think, daunting for most pastors. They don't know where to start in this journey. And so we help them start. Um, we give them a step-by-step process of building an infrastructure inside their church that's sustainable, whether they're the pastor for 10 years, 20 years, or whatever, that it becomes the church culture. Um, we help them work with the government, which again is just this tension point for pastors of, uh, you know, how do we work with government? <laughs> we teach them how to work with agencies. Um, and then we make it volunteer-based, so that way it's not one more thing on a pastor's plate. So do you go into churches to do trainings or do you do one-on-one trainings with the ministry leaders? How does that work? Our main target audience is is church leaders. And so, you know, our team is, I mean, even yesterday we were strategizing different conferences and events where we can just um, build relationships with pastors. So pastors are our target, target audience. And then if they're interested, we just kind of have an informational one-on-one meeting with them. That's kind of where it starts. And then from that one-on-one uh, informational meeting, yes, we, we the church invites us in. Um, we do a workshop. Uh, we have a workbook that's about a 50-page professionally created workbook, about 15-plus years of what not to do and what to do in creating an, an orphan care in your church. And we just walk mm-hmm. them through those steps in a full-day workshop. So volunteers, pastors, everybody is a part of that training? Yeah, great question. You know, the minimum uh, attendees are usually the department heads of a, of a church. So it works with big churches, small churches. It, it works with any size, but it's the pastoral department head. So some churches have a volunteer youth pastor or a paid youth pastor. We definitely need like the children's and youth, the lead pastor in the room, because 
Um, just like uh, foster care in our community, like affects every area from the medical field to the school education field to the police department, like foster care just affects everything in the community. It does the same in a church. Like you cannot silo an orphan care ministry in a church because it'll affect your check-in systems, your security systems, you know. Uh, uh, I mean, we had situations when I was a pastor of kids that had extreme trauma. I just didn't even know how to handle it. And so that training equips those pastoral staff members on how to handle uh, ministering and pastoring extremely hurting situations that we just weren't trained to do in our Bible college and seminaries. On the other side, so you have the pastoral staff, but then you just at the minimum have a point person in the church that would be in the room. Um, Now, I've done it where there's just like those four or five people in the room, and I've done it to where we have 50 people in the room. It was super exciting with the 50 people. A quick story on that was um, they invited their entire, it was a bigger church, so they invited their church staff. So it was like maintenance was in there, the accounting department. And in my head, I'm just thinking, uh, is this good that like the accounting department's in here or the the maintenance crew? But I, I shared even a personal story when we had our first foster care placement a few years ago. And we were bringing him to uh, a church. And at that church, it was just really loud, normal church Wednesday night, you know, it was just high energy. But we didn't know um, that he had sensory issues. And so here we are. I was just kind of sensing out the room and the leader of the classroom and trying to see if she could handle his, you know, trauma. And she seemed fine. And so I turned back around to uh, talk to our little guy in foster care. And he had, you know, gone number one and number two in his pants and it went, you know, it was on the floor and it was just really a, a sad, unfortunate little mess. Well, he was older, three to four years old. And so we didn't have a change of clothes with this then. Um, and so we just had a really awkward situation where we didn't have clothes for him. And it was like an hour later, we finally found some friends to go run to Walmart, grab some clothes, put it in. And um, the maintenance guys in the training, when I told the story, they came up to me at at a break and they go, Eric, we got an idea. And I'm like, yeah, go for it. And they said, what if we create these vacuum sealed bags and we have 2T, 4T, 6T boys and 2T, 4T girls and we just keep them in our storage closet. And I was like, that is a church who is equipping their leaders to understand the culture. And it was just beautiful. So again, small groups, you know, the minimum group, again, that pastoral staff and a point person or that large group, we've, we've done it all. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can relate to just feeling like everyone in ministry should be trained in trauma because I know after yeah. like reading, reading books, preparing for adopting our son, I remember immediately after that, looking at kids in our youth group going, seeing the signs and and I was just like wow this is like blowing my mind because I never would have noticed those things before and yeah it I think it's helpful for everyone everyone in ministry everyone in the church I agree I you know one in fact we do an assessment when we do our workshops and one of the assessment questions is um you know on a scale one to ten how how trauma informed is your staff and like most pastors that have taken that assessment, they get it at the end of our workshop, mm-hmm. but at the beginning, they don't even understand. And it's okay. I was mm-hmm. way ignorant of that stuff too. I, I have grace for it because I've been in those shoes. They don't, most pastors don't understand when you and I say trauma 
and it's foster care related that really it's PTSD. That's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and how many pastors are trained in trauma and PTSD and how to minister to that, you know, uh, I mean, less than 1% probably. So yeah, there are some great tools like Connected for Connected Child by Karen Purvis that we recommend uh, pastors to read or Empowered to Connect's website. Um, those are different resources because our, again, our job is to train those church leaders on how to pastor that stuff. And girl, I've, I mean, I remember like one of the craziest situations that God recalled in our journey was we were at a retreat and you're talking little guy, like a little guy, maybe sixth grade, seventh grade. And he chucked this rock about the size of a mini basketball at another kid's head. And only by the grace of God did that other kid duck. And it put a one inch dent in a metal door of this retreat center. And so I took my guy leaders and we just tried to, you know, put water on the situation and pulled that little guy aside and just, hey, what's going on? Like my heart was so concerned. I didn't know why a child, what would have you know, cause this child to throw it. And it was nothing. And he was just like, it was like the lights were on, but nobody was home type of, you know, situation. And we were trying to assess it. He just kept shrugging his shoulders and saying, I don't know. I just, I just threw a rock. Well, later, later I found out he was in foster care and this little guy had been moved from home to home to home and had trauma. And I, I felt so powerless uh, as a pastor because I didn't know how to help him. And these resources that we just mentioned are some that would have helped me uh, and, and helped me train my volunteers on handle, how to handle that situation. And then to know even where the line is, where we need to maybe have them go to some professional help. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, do you travel all over the nation to do these trainings or are you, you're in the Texas area? So are you focused in that um, vicinity most of all? Um, when God was uh, kind of showing us that this strategy that he wanted us to do, we really just sensed that the Lord said, you go wherever I have a ready church. <laughs> and really, we felt that was like in the world. So, I mean, I literally just got back from a trip from Guatemala where we were working with some um, churches and pastors and uh, an organization that does like a group home uh, over mm-hmm. there, connecting the local church to take care of their backyard. Mm. in Guatemala. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I knew it was not just for the U.S., although our primary emphasis is the U.S., and our primary emphasis is definitely Texas, Missouri, and Oklahoma. Uh, that's our direct um, area where we're working with churches. Um, outside of those three states, we, we do have some kind of popcorn situations that pop up, and um, churches are still bringing us in to do that. They're, they just take a little bit longer because the government... Um, piece, we really got to train that local church to connect well with that government. Um, So the first category for us is definitely those three states, Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri. The next one would be uh, around the U.S. Uh, We can, it just takes a little bit longer, but we don't, we know the model works and we know, you know, in four years, we've seen over 400 kids who are hurting kids placed into healing homes. So we know the model works and those Mm -hmm. are just perpetually recruiting new families at those churches. And so the principles are applicable around the U.S. Uh, the third thing our, our team does is we kind of help networks of churches. So, again, different denominations have districts or, you know, different areas. We can, we can train up an organization of network of churches uh, interdenominationally or denominationally 
to just do what we do. Like the strategy and model God's given us is not ours. It's the Lord's. And we want to give it to other uh, networks of churches um, as well to let them do what we're doing and call it their own. They don't have to be backyard orphans. They can call it whatever they want. There's only about six or seven groups in the U S that, that go after churches um, to get more families. So Mm. we, we want, you know, six to 12 organizations to go to 20 and 30 organizations for sure. Um, Yeah. And I love that, you know, it's just everybody's their own backyard, you know, thinking about your own local community and what you can do. Why does the church need to lead the way in orphan care? The church should be leading the way in orphan care because we have a biblical mandate that is unchanging. Uh, again, James one twenty seven is probably the main scripture that our team communicates about this. You know, pure religion is is taking care of orphans and widows in their distress, and that's a mandate. Like, in fact, um, in the Old Testament, in Exodus, I was reading this just the other day. I think it's Exodus twenty two twenty two refers to that when the church when 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 the church was not taking care of orphans and widows, that they put themselves in opposition to God. And that freaks me out. Like, I, I don't want to be in opposition to God. Um, and, and I don't think the church is, is, is necessarily exempt from helping orphans and widows. I think they're doing single mom ministries and different things internationally. But again, that backyard concept, when, when that scripture in James 127 talks about in their distress, that's, that's that missional concept of look in your own backyard. Like, what is really going on in your city, in your county? Not what you think is going on, not the, what you read in the paper, not what you just hear stories, but go talk to your local child welfare. Like, literally, we encourage pastors to walk up to their child welfare office and just say, hey, my name is Pastor Eric Porter. I'm a local minister, and we really feel like the Lord wants us to help you in helping these kids. Can we talk? That right there is knocking down so many walls of church and state, of mm. fears, of all that kind of stuff. And I've, I've seen pastor after pastor that we've either walked into that office with or they've done it themselves. And, and they're fulfilling the mandate. So the mandate on the government side is, you know, legislation. And so what we need to understand as a church is legislation could change overnight, so to speak. You know, the government can remove their mandate to do foster care. And again, if you go back in history, the church was always taking care of orphans, but somewhere when the government stepped in and said, hey, we'd like to help, the church stepped out. Mm. And they just let the government just take care of God's orphans. And mm. I, it breaks my heart. I think it's breaking God's heart. And, but, but again, we're seeing churches step in and help these kids. And let me let me clarify one thing too, Kansas. I get in trouble sometimes when I say orphan care, so I want to I want to have some fun with that, you know, because uh, you know we work with government all the time, and we oh, we become such great friends, and we we highly highly esteem and respect the government child welfare workers that we work with. We call them heroes. Um, even on that note, um, we believe um, that someone who rushes into a, a house um, because a child is not is 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 not safe is a hero. In fact, the, you know, the media and, and the community will highlight the highlights of firefighters. And I think that's correct. You know, they'll take, they'll take stories that firefighters do when they rush in and they save the life of a child. Well, I, I'm pretty sure that the firefighters weren't perfect because they're human 
and they probably made some mistakes along the way. And as a rule, the media doesn't highlight the lowlights mm-hmm. of firefighters. But around every media, most media places I see, they highlight the lowlights of child welfare. They spray all over the news the mistakes that they made. Mm-hmm. And I get it. I don't want child welfare making mistakes, but we got to remember they're human. And we got to think about all the highlights that they do, the kids' lives that were saved by removing them from harmful situations or the amount of adoptions where kids did not have a forever home and they found a forever home. And so we place um, child welfare in in highlights and so Mm -hmm. as heroes. And so instead of demonizing them, we want to at the minimum humanize them. And even I push them even further and say, and they're heroes for us. So. When I work with these child welfare workers, you know, they, they, especially in the beginning, would push back and say, you say orphan care. Uh, these kids are in foster care. You know, and I go, I understand. Let me, here's what we talk, okay? We let child welfare talk government. You know, um, kinship placements, fictive kin, foster care, you know, investigation. You know, they talk all this government language that um, most of the time, frankly, the church doesn't always understand the language. So even our team is like uh, interpreters <laughs> for, <laughs> for government language sometimes. And I said, we'll let you talk government, but you have to let us talk church. And in scripture, the Bible is our communication tool. And it refers to the principle of the orphan throughout scripture, mm-hmm. that I too was once orphaned and separated from family and that family being the family of God. It's not that we go around telling children, oh, you're an orphan. <laughs> we wouldn't say, right. oh, you're a, a foster child. Like you're a child who's in mm-hmm. foster care. You're a, you're a child who might feel orphaned. And I would say that 100% of the 400,000 kids in foster care in the U.S. have felt orphaned. And so we're just simply using the word as a principle, uh, either the spiritual side or the principle of what it feels like to be orphaned. I am so stealing that. <laughs> That's a great way to explain that. And talk about the, the impact that that has on those government workers when you say, I want to help you. Uh, it's shocking. Whether they're faith-based or not, when they hear us say, we're here to help you, they're skeptical. They're shocked because they just hardly ever hear the church um, coming in to help. What they read and see on media is churches protesting what they do or, you know, slandering or slamming them. And so I just think it's the position and humility of Christ to walk up to them and say, we're here not to be served, but to serve you. And that's our, our, our humility position to them. And I don't think you can go wrong with that position. Yeah. What are some ways that you, you advise churches to partner with their government? When, when churches are looking to partner with their local child welfare, again, sometimes these pastors have somebody in their congregation that works for local child welfare and they don't even know it or they do know it. Um, okay. And usually they're easy to spot because these warriors are 24-hour employees. And so they're tired sometimes at church and their attendance isn't always as frequent as pastors want, but they don't always understand mm-hmm that they are just like a pastor's 24-7. These child welfare workers are 24-7. I kind of joke sometimes too. I can usually spot them because they have two cell phones in their hand. They have a personal cell phone and they have a business cell phone. It's the funniest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but again, I think the low-hanging fruit is look in your congregation, number one. Number two, um, start putting some questions out there. Does, somebody, does a pastor friend of theirs even know 
of a child welfare worker that might be faith friendly. I'd say the third thing is, man, cold turkey. Walk up into the office and and just say, like I said earlier, just, hey, my name's Pastor So-and-so, and I just, I really, our church really feels like God wants us to serve you. Can we talk? We just want to know what needs you need met. We did that with our local child welfare in our county. Again, she was shocked. It was our pastors at our church, and it was our child welfare worker in our community and myself, and we just shared with them. Um, you know, this little grid that's on our website, backyardorphans.org. We have this little grid that we communicate with. It's a community grid, and it shows preservation at the left, foster care, then adoption, then the far right, transitional living, kids age out. And then going down, it showed concrete services. It's kind of like level one, the easy way in. Level two is support services. You know, concretes like beds and diapers and things like that. Level two, uh, the support services is like childcare, addiction recovery classes, parent classes, things like that. And then the third level is the families that welcome them in. And I, I shared that little grid. Again, people can use that on our website. And I shared it with the government. And she said, we love this grid. I've never seen something that was so concise to explain mm-hmm. what we do. And I was like... Yay! <laughs> you know, because again, I feel like it's so confusing, you know, everything out there. And this little grid on our website mm-hmm. just kind of helps people um, understand it. She looked at it and she said, Eric, we need help in these two areas. I was like, okay, what is it? And she said, we need a way to get uh, help with families who are at the preservation stage. They're in investigation. If they just had a little help from the community and in our conversation, the church, and they needed a bed, because sometimes this is crazy, but kids are being removed, not because of abuse, but, but out of poverty situations, meaning they can't afford three or four or five beds. And so they all pile in bed with their single mom and the government right or wrong just deems it as uh, neglect and they need beds. And so she said, could we, you know, figure out a way. And yes, so our church has been using a tool called Care Portal, um, or some groups use just a Facebook page. And and the child welfare is communicating to the church and saying, hey, we investigated this family. If they had a bed or two or three, you know, bunk beds, they could keep their children in their home. That's wow. it. And so the wow. church has been responding to those needs. So that was the first thing she said. And the second thing she said is parent wow. classes. So again, we talked to the tap the shoulders of our pastors in our little county and said, hey, could we do some parent classes? And so we've started some parent classes to kind of help, uh, again, uh, keep these kids in their home. So the judge, judges have a lot of power. I know you know that, but judges have a lot of power in the foster care system. Um, and judges will, will give a, a family service plan to a family who's being investigated or whose children have been removed. Family service plans are very common judge to judge. It's usually like an addiction recovery. It's get a job. It's get some marriage counseling. It's parent class, you know, so on. Those are ministries that churches can offer. And so that's what she was saying. So again, that third one, we just took her out to lunch and and asked her. She said it. And then you better respond. You know, you, you can't just say we're here to serve you and not do it. And so we've been doing it. We, her, that child welfare worker and I talk on Facebook all the time and we're like encouraging each other and we'll see each other. We serve each other. 
and it's just been a great journey um, with them. So that's just some easy ways to connect with yeah. child welfare. Uh, one more thing I was thinking of, Candice, on that is yeah. we see pastors, once they build that relationship, this would be the fourth thing I see, they're simply opening their church facility for child welfare to come and do child welfare trainings. It's beautiful, a beautiful partnership. The church opens their doors, they give them coffee, they serve them, and it's just an easy way the church can serve child welfare. Honestly, that blows my mind that something as simple as providing a bed can keep a family together. That, yeah, churches need to be just aware. Right. I think, it, you know, just the awareness of knowing how simple it is to keep a family together. Yeah, you're right. Okay, Eric, that grid you mentioned, how does what does that look like in one single church? When pastors or church leaders really get passionate about this, they see that grid and there are probably, you know, 500 things that they could do in that little grid. And they, you know, it's just the heart of a Christian. We just want to help and do everything, you know. And so we really try to take the whole pie and make it one piece of the pie. And so our one piece of the pie that we really hone in on is what we call a circle of support. And it's real simple. Right in the middle of that circle is a foster adopt family. Let's identify a family in your church or help you recruit one uh, in your church. And then circling around them is really some simple things. They need a prayer team that circles around them. That could be a group that uh, grandmas and grandpas and, uh, or just prayer warriors in the church. Because we do believe all ages are called to orphan care. It's not just uh, a young married with no kids. It's all ages, from children's ministry to senior adult ministry. Uh, so a prayer team is a way to get people involved and circle them and support a meals team. Uh, it's really challenging. I have a neighbor that just brought home a newborn and, you know, there's food that gets brought to newborn baby families. And it's very similar when you bring in a adoption placement or a foster placement, they just, there's chaos. And so having a few meals for a few days or a few weeks, good night is just so helpful for these families. So a meals team, um, child care team would be another one. Um, some churches call that a resource team and the resource team can be like the cribs, the clothes, the beds, um, and, uh, um, childcare. But we, we even surveyed some of our veteran families at our church a few years ago and, and, uh, said, how can we serve you? And the church was doing well at concrete services, but that support services, we needed to beef up. And so we needed to recruit some babysitters, some overnight, some respite, they call it, you know, where they have them for multiple days and just give our warrior foster adopt families a breather. Uh, so that's a way. And probably one of my favorite on top of that is a, a Facebook page. Most churches create a private Facebook group page where they only allow licensed families who foster adopt to join that page. And that honestly is one of the main tools that even our church and several churches that we've trained use that thing. And they just communicate like crazy on that Facebook page of hey, pray for us, we have a court date, or does anybody know a, a doctor who takes uh, Medicaid, you know, in our, in our county? And so there's a lot of um, Acts chapter 2, they give it to each other as they had need going on in that Facebook page. And one of the final things in the circle support is like an advocate. We recommend the church finds that one person that can just stand in the gap for that family and be a good communicator to the pastor if something's coming up, um, it's kind of the point person for the entire ministry. Oftentimes they, they know the agency if they work with an agency really well so that they know the process, they need to turn in this paperwork. 
they need to do these classes. So that advocate is just kind of right in the center of the whole thing, maybe even communicating to the prayer team, meals team, resource team, to the pastor, to the agency, to the government. And they just advocate for those families because it's these families that, that step up to be foster adopt. They're basically signing up for a 24-7 missions trip in their own backyard. That's such a beautiful picture of the church coming together. Right. So if there is a church leader, a church pastor who wants to get in contact with you, how do they do that? Yeah, our main target audience is church leaders, and the first group is pastors. And so if a pastor would love more information, they can check us out at backyardorphans.org. But if they really want to just move forward in the conversation, they can set up an appointment through nextsteps.backyardorphans.org, and that can just help them set up an appointment. For the volunteers, if there's a volunteer out there, they're like, man, how do we get our pastor on board? We do help uh, volunteers from time to time, and they can do that same path. Backyardorphans.org is our main website, and then they can set up an appointment through nextsteps.backyardorphans.org. Okay, awesome. And uh, they can follow you on social media through Backyard Orphans, correct? Yeah, we love groups to, to follow our journey and be praying for us. We can't do this without God's help, and, and we do have a lot of prayer warriors around the world praying with us and for us. Uh, some of the ways they know how to follow us and pray for us is all of the social media uh, from you know Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. They're all Backyard Orphans and uh, as the handle. And then even they can go to our website and sign up for our newsletter. Uh, we will have a newsletter that goes out monthly or ever so you know often that just kind of encourages uh, church leaders or keeps them up with what God's doing in and through us. Okay, well, thank you so much, Eric. Um, This has been so great to talk to you, very informative and just encouraging and inspiring to to get something started in your own backyard. So thank you so much. My pleasure. A huge thanks to Eric Porter for being on the show. Make sure you check out their website and social media. And also, if you want to donate to them, there's a a space on their website to give right to them. And each donation helps hurting children find healing homes. Thanks to all you amazing listeners. Adoption Hacks has been downloaded over 1,200 times in the last three weeks. Share Adoption Hacks with your friends, family, strangers, whoever. And if you're enjoying the show, leave a review on iTunes, and you can always contact me at adoptionhacksinfo at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you soon.